0: I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I extend my respect to their Elders past, present and emerging and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners that we have joining us. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Really just confused and overwhelmed, I could hear... The fire, like roaring and smoke alarms and glass breaking, but I just didn't really, like there was no thought in my head of, oh, it's on fire, like this is what's happening.
0: Brianna Cronon was a regular teenager living in Queensland when her life was turned upside down. She was woken at 3am to a smoke-filled room and the roar of a blaze outside. She made it out of the home with her mum but suffered burns to 60% of her body and was placed in an induced coma for two weeks following the house fire. I'll let Brianna share the details in her own words today, but it is hard to imagine surviving such an ordeal. Brianna underwent countless surgeries to graft skin before undertaking an extensive physical rehabilitation process, all whilst completing her final year of high school. Now, Brianna uses her platform online to inspire others to embrace the skin they're in, scars and all. She's also working as a model and an educator for other Burns survivors. Enjoy my chat with Brianna Cronon. This is Life Chats deep and meaningful conversations with friends and strangers.
1: bit um pigeonholed in terms of like that all i am is a burnt survivor a model and like i speak about these things and that is a very large part of who i am i'm very passionate about it but i do have a lot more like of a dynamic to me i'm a very dynamic person so i actually work in child care full-time while doing all of this so i'm very busy i'm pretty flat out doing all of that i love working with children i find it really really rewarding so I do that during the week and then I'm sort of just trying to find myself a little bit again and what i am actually enjoying doing just for me and not trying to gain anything from it other than just like a little bit of like peace and quiet and enjoying myself so I'm sort of trying to like get back to my roots in that way and find hobbies and be more active and yeah fill my cup a little bit differently now that modeling is sort of a job and not just a hobby anymore so yeah I'm just like very very social like connecting with friends and very like just like connections with people which I think is why I love this industry so much as well as I just love connecting.
0: Totally and were you always like that growing up did you love working with kids and did you love kind of getting to know different people and and being social in that way? I think the kids definitely
1: I've really always loved working Mm. with children I was always terrified that if I started working in childcare, I wouldn't want my own kids
0: yeah I always
1: (laughs) wanted kids so I was like if yeah. I start working with them, am I just going to end up hating them because I'm sick of dealing with them all day? But in terms of the social side, I actually think I've grown a lot more out of my shell in the last probably two three years than I have ever. I've always been a lot more shy, introverted and it takes me a while to get out of my shell. And what I've actually really enjoyed about this journey is I've come so much more out of my own shell and become my own person and I feel a lot more confident and I enjoy that connection side and making new Mm. friends and talking to different people about different things. So that's actually been, like, really exciting for me to sort of explore that area.
0: Totally. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it in terms of like being signed to Bella and, and what that involves. But have you found that having a bit of more of like a spotlight on you or more of a following that has pushed you to kind of step into that a little bit more, I suppose?
1: Definitely. I think that it opens up so many different opportunities that I wouldn't have been open to before that. And that just forces me to enter this different dynamic and I have to be more versatile and be able to open up and talk to people. And I've never found it difficult to open up. I am someone that sort of wears my heart on my sleeve, but just more just like having that confidence to back myself and Mm -hmm. feel comfortable to really express myself and just be open entirely about who I am and say like silly things and be confident and happy in that and not feel so worried about people's expectations or what they might think of me.
0: Totally. And so I'd love to gain a little insight into like what you were like growing up. Did you have sort of any ideas about what you wanted to be when you were older? I know you said you loved kids and you wanted to work in childcare or you do work in childcare, but did you have any sort of like vision as to like, yep, that's what my life is going to be? Just like
1: so opposite to what I'm doing <laughs> now. Um, I was yep. really, really hyper fixated on law. I loved law wow. and I, um, uh, was yep studying legal studies in school. And sort of up until the end of grade 11, I'd been quite focused on that I would be a lawyer and that was sort of going to be my path. That sort of changed by the end of the year. I was a little bit less sure and I wasn't too sure if that's what I wanted to do anymore. But that had been my goal from the get go was that I'm going to do law. That's what I'm going to do. So it's completely flipped (laughs) from that now. But yeah, that's definitely what i had been focused on.
0: Would you ever consider going back to it or it's kind of you're not that interested anymore? I don't think so. I
1: think it's – I find it a little bit boring now. I think that I was really hooked on, like, all the TV shows and the idea of what it was Mm. going to be. And then when I found out what it was actually going to be like, I was – like less interested. I'm like, oh, yeah. Actually, I don't think I'm really interested in that.
0: I actually don't want to write a 50,000 word essay yeah. just to get through the degree.
1: As someone that would always leave things to the last minute, like probably yeah. just not the best thing for me to try and get into.
0: Yeah, love it. So talk me through school. Like, did you have, have you come from a big family? What did you, did you enjoy going to school? Like I, I love to hear, cause I feel like I always come into people's lives, especially with this podcast. I come in at the like most chaotic moment or the most traumatic moment. And I have no real picture as to what life was like before that. So I guess just for listeners, like paint a little picture of what was your life like before the accident and kind of like yeah, what you enjoyed doing and and what your family was like and all those sorts of details. Yeah,
1: definitely. My life was just so normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Ipswich with my mum and her roommate at the time. My parents split up when I was 12. So I've mm-hmm. come from a pretty big family. I'm the youngest of six. so wow. Yeah, I've always been the baby <laughs> and they've all been, like, significantly older. So then I moved to Ipswich with my mum. Just by ourselves, my brothers stayed back on the coast with my dad. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like this little baby entering into high school with not knowing anyone, which was really, really scary for me. I'd sort of expected mm-hmm. to go into high school being their little sister and everyone knew them, so it's like I'd be I'd be their little sister and I already had my place in this sort of school. So I had to enter into this entirely new environment and sort of create a name for myself, which mm-hmm. I think was really uh, beneficial to who I have grown into. I think if I hadn't had that experience, I probably wouldn't have handled the things that I have handled as well as I did. And it just probably made me a lot more confident and stronger as a person and allowed me to really get to know myself. We lived on a big property. We had lots of dogs. We used to breed and sell dogs. So big animal lover, always surrounded by animals and just very social. I have had like the most amazing support group around me the entire time and so many good friends and Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was very laid back I loved going to school and hanging out with my friends I was good at school so that was sort of something that was hard for me after the fire that I struggled with school after that because I was just purely exhausted and that was really different because I'd always enjoyed going and learning and doing Mm -hmm. all of the different things but yeah
0: totally well I suppose let's talk about the fire and kind of how that all happened. So you're in your, I think, final year of high school. Yes. Um, you're like 16 at this point point if you feel comfortable, can you kind of run us through yeah, what you remember of the night or the morning that it happened? And then I'm more interested in talking about kind of your recovery because I know that that's what you are really open about. And that's more to me, I find that so inspiring, like your resilience and, and your strength going through that. But just for listeners to have a bit of detail, what do you kind of remember from from that?
1: Yeah, thank you. I am very passionate about the recovery side. So I love that. Totally. I remember everything. Some things are a little bit disjointed in terms um, of I remember them in like a different order to what they actually happened, if that makes sense. Yeah. But basically, the gist of it is that I woke up in the middle of the night, it was three o'clock in the morning. And the house was on fire. My mom's roommate woke me up and just said that we needed to get out. And I just had zero clue of what was going on, really just confused and overwhelmed. I could hear the fire, like, roaring and smoke alarms and glass breaking. But I just didn't really, like, there was no thought in my head of, oh, it's on fire. Like this is what's happening. I just was totally panicking. I had no pants on, which is just so irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, but it was what I was hyper fixating on. I was totally focused on that and freaking out about that. So I took a solid 30 seconds to like get my bearings and put some clothes on and then run out. But basically as I've run out of the house, that is where the fire had started and I didn't know that. So I basically got stuck in the middle of it and as soon as I walked out there, my skin started to burn just purely from the heat Um, and the, the gate that was basically the way out was melted shut so I was stuck in that area. And as I turned around to get out the other way, something fell on my head and it lit the back of my shirt on fire So I screamed when that happened and that's when my mum came and she found me and she got me out. From that moment, we were just getting out of the house and putting water on everything and waiting for the ambulance. Like after that, it was just very, very fast and totally just everything happened in a blur after that really. It was sitting down, water, ambulance, hospital,
0: I I was watching a few of your videos on your page. I know you do like a bit of a series talking about it and you were in one of them saying like you literally grabbed onto the handle of the gate, which is like melted metal and your brain didn't even register that that was hot. Like that's for people to understand like that is how chaotic the situation is. Like you're not even really registering what's happening. You're just like trying to figure out how to get out and, and what's going on. So Did you, were you in the moment thinking like, where's the rest of the family or kind of like, were any of those logical thoughts happening or it was just like survival instinct, I suppose? Absolutely.
1: That is really what got me to turn around as I'm standing there thinking it's, shut. It won't open. It's stuck. What am I supposed to do? And in that moment, it probably was only seconds, but it just felt like forever. And all I was thinking about was I had no idea where anyone else was. And did they know Mm -hmm. that I was here? Were they waiting for me? Had they already gotten out? It was just total panic. And as I turned around, I sort of, I had that thought of, is this it? Am I, this is how I'm going to die. And I just totally shoved that away I was like no Mm. we're not doing this it's like my final year of high school I've got all my friends I've got my family they are going to be devastated if this happens to me we don't have a choice we're getting out we're going and that Mm. totally just the thoughts of my family and my friends is completely what pushed me to rethink things and turn around and go the other way
0: wow and I think a lot of people like you would have obviously been in horrific pain at that point, as you said, just from the burns that you sustained from the heat. But like to not even register that that was happening um, says a lot about, yeah, what the situation was like. And I think a lot of people think as well, like, oh, if there's a house fire, you know, think of the three things that you want to grab and like make sure you get your personal belongings. But it's like in the reality of the situation, that's not exactly how it really happens.
1: Yeah, like, not at all. It's so just there's so much panic and overwhelm and even after the fire in my studies, we've had to do um, like fire safety and things like that. And then they'll talk about have a plan and make sure that you're ready to get out. And like, even if you have a plan, like so many things can change or go wrong. There's so many variables. And if you mm-hmm. purely just don't know what's happening, like I had just woken up, I was totally in just disoriented, cha- as yeah, well. disoriented yeah. and just totally chaotic it's so hard like that's not even a a thought it's a thought afterwards like afterwards I was really mad because I just had boxing day sales so all the new clothes were just gone I was like so dirty about that god damn it yeah (laughs) but at
0: the time not really what I was concerned about yeah I need that jacket that I just bought yeah Oh man. And also like sensory overload as well, which I think we might talk about like when you have trauma, it's those sensory things that come back that can often be triggers. But like when you're in that situation and there's smells and sounds and lights and like you literally have just woken up in the middle of the night. Yeah. It would be very hard, I think, for people to actually comprehend the decision-making in that moment. Absolutely. So your mum hears you or finds you um, and Can you just kind of run me through like what you remember up until, yeah, being in an ambulance, I suppose?
1: Basically, my mum got me out of the house through the back door
0: Did she sustain any injuries or was she burnt at that point? She had,
1: like, surface level, so not anything really bad. She had to wait for her own ambulance. When the ambulance took me, she was about to get in. They're like, no, 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 you have to wait for your own. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. And then sort of as I left, she sort of had the realisation of, oh, actually, you know what? That really hurts. I can feel that. Um, so you'd have to look really, really close to sort of see any like tissue damage. It's all very, very surface level, which was lucky is not having to have Mm. two sort of like major recoveries, but she basically and her roommate at the time, they ripped the shirt off of me as I came through the back door. And that's how they got sort of surface level burns on their hands and a little bit on her face. And so that was ripped off. I was taken to this little granny flat attached to the house. And so we went to there and just had the shower on so that I could just have that all poured over me Mm -hmm. and have water on it. And they sort of went back outside to sort of suss out the situation, what was going on. But the next thing I knew, I'm just sort of sitting in the dark waiting, and the next thing I knew was that the roof was going to collapse of the main house. Right. Um, So we had to run and leave that. We had a big kennel on the property. So we left to head towards there. And as we're running towards that, it's probably the moment that I sort of remember is I looked down to my hands and my feet and I could just see skin hanging off Mm. of like my hands and my feet. And I, up until then, I sort of hadn't really comprehended that I'd actually done any damage. Our brain does such good job of protecting us from pain in these sorts of situations just purely to get you out so that you keep moving and so up until then I hadn't really thought you know I've I've really injured myself I've done damage and then I looked down and it was just this moment of clarity I was like oh my god what have I done like what's happened so from there we went to the kennel and we Mm -hmm. just I had my hands and my feet stuck in buckets and water just continuously poured over me until the ambulance came and once the ambulance came I had to stand up and get onto the stretcher because so no one could touch me because my skin would just oh, come wow. off
0: yeah. um
1: which I didn't really comprehend at the time either my I have am sort of close with the paramedic from yeah the I saw
0: in- that that was beautiful yeah
1: thank you that he like was incredible incredible felt Mm -hmm. so so safe in a situation that was absolutely terrifying but I remember at that time when we were talking about it it was you know we have to get you up on the stretcher how are we going to do that and I sort of I'll just stand up what are you talking about and everyone was sort of like are you sure you've just been through like a really physical trauma how are you turning around and telling me that you can stand up and for me I just had no comprehension of why that was such a difficult thing. I was like, what do you mean? I'm just, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to get on the stretcher because someone has to get me on the stretcher. And, yeah, I didn't realise until afterwards, like, how big of a deal that sort of was and the fact that no one could touch me because it would have damaged my skin even more. But after that I was into the ambulance and my mum had to wait for her own. We met up with a specialist about halfway to the hospital And then I had a needle that knocked me out. And as soon as I arrived at the hospital, I was put into an induced coma in the ICU.
0: So do you remember being like, that's remarkable that you were able to stand up and do that. But as you said, like you're not registering any pain or anything at that time. Is there any moment in the ambulance where you're like, you realise you're in agony or you are like comprehending what's happening? Or I suppose it's difficult for me to ask that question because it might seem like a silly question because I can't even comprehend like what that was like. But did you have any memory of of being in the ambulance and kind of thinking this is going to be a big recovery or any of those thoughts?
1: Not a silly question at all because I even feel silly when I sort of think about what I was thinking about in the ambulance. Yeah. Like they were asking me my pain levels and I was concerned about if I was just being really dramatic because I still, oh didn't, God. I still didn't really have an understanding of like what I'd actually done. Like I had no idea that majority of my body was
0: It was like 60%, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, 60%. And they were a mixed level of full thickness and just surface. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't have any understanding of what my body had just been through. And I remember by that point, it was starting to hurt more. I don't remember feeling like I wasn't screaming or anything like that. I was quite calm, but I just remember when they asked me what the pain levels were like, I was like, I don't want to say it too high because if I say it too high, like that's really, that's really dramatic, and they'll be like, calm down, it's not that bad. But it actually wow. was really bad. I could have yeah. said, you know, like ten out of ten, and they would have been fine. But I think I was yep. like, oh, yeah. you know, it's like it's like a six, like I don't know. And wow. the um, paramedic just sort of looked at me and was like, oh my. Like, what are you talking about? Um, But they, I had the green whistle and other things pretty fast, so I didn't have to sort of put up with it for too long. And they were just so busy sort of talking me through every step. I didn't really think about what was to come, which is probably a lucky thing because I really didn't have any idea of what I was in for. The physical recovery was really, really gruesome. So I think it was probably lucky that I didn't dwell on that too much mm-hmm. and that I just sort of stayed calm and went into it as sort of calm as I really could have been.
0: Totally. So let's talk about that. Before we get into it, I know that you just said you're still close with the paramedic that was involved. How did that come about? Like did you guys reunite after your recovery or during your recovery and are there any sort of conversations about what that was like and, and I suppose what has been said about that? About the incident.
1: So he actually followed up after my burns. He came to the hospital That's to visit me. Yeah. I like left an impression on him that sort of night. And so he came, he bought me a little paramedic bear that I still have. Oh. Um that I like it was like my comfort in a hospital. Mm. Um and so after that. They sort of kept in touch with my own family and then I did a special on a current affair the yep. year of the fire and they actually organised for me to sort of reunite with him and that was really special. I had didn't really know that that was going to happen. Yep. So that was really exciting and it was just interesting to hear things from his perspective especially because at that time, like, I really had no idea what was going on and I felt dramatic, which is so silly. (laughs) But for him Mm -hmm. to sort of validate how I was feeling and say and tell me his own stories of, like, comparisons of people that have been through the same and how sort of well I handle it, I just, it highlighted to me how strong I could be without Mm -hmm. even really thinking about it. Yeah, it's such a weird feeling for me to sort of think about how strong I was in that moment when I wasn't trying, that that was mm. just the way it was and I think it's just the way I always have been and it's something I've sort of struggled with as well afterwards of people like taking that compliment of, you know, you've, you've mm. been so brave, you've been so strong and I've always just thought of it as I just have to be. That's just the way that I have to get be to get through this and keep going. Yeah. It's always been second nature. So it was really sort of it was really interesting to hear it from his perspective and have that more understanding of everything that had happened at that time.
0: Totally. It's almost like in a weird way, it's like a silver lining that the whole situation has reinforced to you your like innate strength and your courage and your bravery, even though it feels weird for people to tell that to you, that's just like in you without you even having to try. Like that's who you were in that moment when you needed to be. Um, If you can take anything from it, at least I suppose that, that there's that. But tell me, you kind of, you're in an induced coma, I think, for two weeks. What is the moment like when you wake up?
1: It's very weird. (laughs) Um, They sort of were pulling me in and out from, like, the very first week, I think. I was only sort of um, at a full level of completely out of it for a few days. Um, They don't like to keep you in for too long. So, It was just very strange, the whole experience. I was very in and out of it. I had different memories of people coming to visit me and things that I thought happened that definitely did not happen. You know, you're on a lot of different painkillers and medications. And I had had a nurse come in and I was fully convinced I'd been watching Orphan Black at the time and yeah. I was fully convinced that one of my nurses was a character from Orphan Black <laughs> and my brother who watched it as well when he came in, I was like trying to tell him, I was like, Nathan, like this person, it's Cosima it's from Orphan Black, like I can't believe it. And he's just <laughs> looking at me because I've obviously got like tubes and all of these things in my throat yeah. and I have no idea. <laughs> that I'm not actually talking, but I'm like, dude, come on. Like, how are you not getting this? So it was a very like surreal experience. I have a lot of stories of people like telling me things that I did while I was sort of out of it that I have no recollection of. Like apparently one night I fully tried to escape and get out of, Wow. yeah, I tried to get out of the bed and I had like splints on all of my arms. And they said that, It was lucky that there was a male nurse on because he was, like, quite big Mm. and stronger because he had to actually put in a physical effort to keep me in the bed. Wow. Um, The only thing I can think of is that I had a dream at the time about, so weird, I had a dream that I was a cow in, like, a slaughterhouse that was, like, about to, like,
0: Aww. be
1: taken away. Yeah. And I think, like, they keep the rooms in there very, very hot to keep our infection. So it's not very comfortable, particularly after having burns. You're just in this really, really hot room. And so I think that just all these env- environmental factors are just, like, contributing to how I'm feeling in the dream. And I, in my head, am like, I've just got to get out. I've got to get out. And I, that's the only thing I could think of that was going through my head at the time that I was like, see ya, I'm I'm out of here. I'm going home. Like, you're not keeping me any longer.
0: I'm going back to the paddocks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would like to just roam for a while.
0: Um, It makes sense though, considering like what you went through and having no like control or autonomy over your body and kind of being thrust into this situation where, yeah, like you are just this like person on a bed being kind of told what to do and I read that you went through 30 surgeries is that correct yeah I
1: think I think it would be around there there were Mm. a lot just endless as soon as I got there I was going through surgeries I had debridement and then it was skin grafting and just all of these different things and even while I was in the ICU, I was having physio done and just there's constantly people poking and prodding and in your space and needles and having blood tests and things like that. Like there's just so much going on. It's so overwhelming and you just don't get a moment of peace. Like I really had no idea that while I was in the ICU and in a coma, that that was probably the only moment of peace that I would get in this entire experience for the next Three months in hospital and then another twelve months being in and out with different physio and physical therapies and surgeries and things. So yeah, just a very, very surreal experience that I was very in and out of when I first And you
0: were sixteen as well. Like you're you're really young. Like a lot of people would struggle going through this as a fully fledged adult who is confident enough to say what they need, but like you're still a child somewhat in this situation.
1: Absolutely. And I did really struggle with that feeling like I needed to try and find my voice, but I didn't know how, like sort of everyone's doing these things for me. They know better that they know better than me, but at the same time, I'm tired, I'm vulnerable, I'm sore. And I just want, I just wanted things to stop for a minute. And I found it really, really hard to find that voice mean, there. My mom was really good with that for me. She was An amazing advocate for me, if she could see that you know I'd sort of reached a point where I've had enough. But that was something I definitely struggled with, just being young and feeling like I really had no say or no idea what was going on all the time.
0: Totally. So, I suppose in terms of the physical recovery, as you just said, it it's not just the time that you're in hospital; it's the whole year afterwards, and potentially still now. But what kind of reflecting on it, what has been the hardest part for you?
1: That is a really good question.
0: (sighs) I think. You're like, it's all hard. (laughs) It's all hard. (laughs) It's all
1: hard.
0: I think. (laughs) Every day.
1: I think probably for me now, as like reflecting on it was probably the mental health side because that just fell to the corner because the priority was so physical that, I really just I didn't really talk to anyone about how I was feeling until I was at mm. breaking point and I had like multiple multiple meltdowns while I was in hospital and afterwards and times where you know I'd sort of snap at people and I didn't really know why but just because I was so burnt out and frustrated and tired and like I just wanted everything to stop and I wasn't really talking about it I wasn't talking to anyone and I think the series that I have been filming when I was reflecting on sort of the mental side of my recovery I realized that I didn't allow myself to voice those things for me and Mm. really complain and talk about how I was feeling I think I just felt like I had to be grateful that I was there and keep on pushing to keep on getting through that I really didn't let myself just express how I was feeling which was so detrimental in the long run because it just made me so tired and exhausted and upset all the time because it is so physical the whole time it's just exhausting everything is painful there's constantly something to do even if when I wake up in the morning and they have to do needles there's just always something and you know getting up to go to the toilet that hurts and there's yeah as I said there's just always something and so that being the priority of focusing on the physical I really let my mental health just fall to the side and Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand like until now so many years later that I've learned a lot more about myself and I've become a lot more Mm. self-aware about my mental health and my behaviours that I sort of fall to when I'm struggling, that that's what was happening then and it was because I wasn't talking about it.
0: And unfortunately, sometimes, like so many people I've spoken to on this podcast say, like, it takes getting to that point where it's just unbearable, feeling how you feel for something to change like we're not really taught the skills mental health skills and communication skills that we probably need to be healthy and happy like in school that's not really I mean maybe it is now but certainly when I was in high school that wasn't really a priority um, in health classes and whatnot so I feel like yeah we don't have the skills we don't know what to do when things like that happen it takes getting to a point of being like I can't do this anymore that people come in and help you and kind of support you and yeah so I read as well that kind of body image has obviously been a big part of it because now you physically look different. So what was the moment for you where you kind of realised that? Was there a moment in hospital or otherwise where you were like, okay, this has kind of changed things for me? In
1: hospital, there were sort of two. Um, mm-hmm. The first one was I had to get up to go to the toilet and I was, this was Just previous to, I had toes amputated on my right foot and my foot was in a lot of pain like prior to that. So walking really, really hurt on top of all the other reasons that it really, really hurt. Um, But I had to get up and uh, to go and my mum was helping me and I was really distressed that my mum had to help me because I was 16 and I just didn't want, I don't want to be helped in the bathroom anymore. Like, you know, you lose all that independence, which was something else that I really struggled with. So, I was really, really upset and just have in a really bad headspace. And we didn't sort of think anything of it at the time, but we went to the bathroom. And when I stood up, I saw my face for the first time in the mirror. And mm. up until then, I'd sort of only seen myself in reflections of like windows and my laptop and things like that. And so, I didn't really. Think that there was much else different, you know? It's like when yeah, you look yeah. in the window, you're like, oh, I look really good. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've looked like that all day. And so yeah. it was like that. Like I saw my face fully for the first time in the mirror. And I was just so shocked. And I just started freaking out and crying. My mom was like, Oh my God, what what, what did you do? And when she sat me down and I said I saw my face, she was just like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. And like now it's healed very, very differently. It looked completely different to what it did back then. But it was just so jarring for me and that was such a big thing. You know, I was 16 and I'd sort of only just come to terms with how I felt about my body and how I looked. So to have that then completely ripped out from under me and have feeling like I had this new face that I now had to accept and just have on display all the time was really, really scary. And not long after that, I did have my toes amputated and I was really, really insecure about that, which seems like for me now, it seems like such a small thing in terms of like everything that I've got going on. Um, but it was just, that was such a big deal to me to have like such a physical difference, even though like it didn't really, doesn't really affect anything. I'm a little bit less coordinated than I used to be, but not majorly. That was just such a big deal to me at the time, like just having this other thing taken away from me. It was just continuing to lose things.
0: It's such a formative time of your life too like I remember what how I felt when I was 16 and it's like you're obsessed with how you look and you know I was single so I was like I want to look amazing all the time because I need to get a boyfriend and like you're doing school formals and all these things that really um, put emphasis around what you look like so I'm sure anyone would struggle with those things but particularly being uh, the stage of life that you were in it would have been really hard and I read that you said like you know you felt really unbelievably ugly at the time which is fair enough that you felt like that but do you ever still have those moments?
1: Not really I get a little bit funny like my face has a lot of tension on the left side because that's where my scar tissue is heaviest and so if I turn my head if it's on like a really tight day I sort of have the scarring pull my features down so my eye will sort of get dragged mm-hmm. and my lip will get dragged which to be fair I found that quite funny for a while I used to freak my brothers out with it <laughs> um, so I've always sort of tried to find like the lighter side of it um yeah. I mean there's definitely always insecure days where I just am like I just really wish I didn't have to deal with this you know meeting people for the first time having first dates and mm-hmm. things like that as much as I'm open on my social media and things like that I'm still always a little bit worried that they still they don't get the bigger picture Mm -hmm. and that when they meet Mm -hmm. me it'll be too different to what they sort of imagined and I mean in the grand scheme of things I don't really want to be with someone that thinks that way anyway but it's still always a thought in the back of my head that I'm sort of having to like push down and tell it to shut up.
0: On those days that you do have like a bad body image day or you're feeling like quite insecure what sort of tools do you have that work?
1: I think I really like to try and backtrack it in my head. I've sort of taken from when I went to therapy after the fire, like finding the root of the issue is really important for me and being able to find that root means I'm able to understand it and if I have a thought or a feeling I'm like why why did I feel that way when I thought that and why did I even think about that about myself in the first place and so really just trying to backtrack and understand where these feelings and thoughts are even coming from is a big one for me and being able to understand them sort of allows me to know what I need right now in that moment Mm -hmm. like do I need to let myself sit with it for a minute and have someone validate me and have a little bit of a cry and just let myself have a moment? Or am I able to do something more productive with it and try and turn it around? Sometimes I like will sit down and I'll just take photos. I really find a creative outlet in taking photos. So I'll just go into my studio and I'll sit down and I'll just take photos of whatever it is that's bothering me and being able to see it in a different light really shifts my focus and shifts my perspective. And I think having that perspective shifted in general about how I see bodies full stop has really helped. It's really changed how I see myself and how I see other people. I'm much less oriented to just look at someone on the surface and just judge them for what's on the surface mm. and see, like, the creativity and the art that is in just people in general and really take value in that and not just look at them as simply a body and look beyond that as well and see underneath the surface and actually just get to know people and value them for who they are and not what they are or what they look like Mm. so I found that really really helpful to just understand what I need at the time and be able to sort of pick the thing that works for me at the time I'm a big fan of skincare as well (laughs) yes um, like love. I'm very bad at keeping up with it during the week because I sort of am just busy and chaotic all the time mm. but if I'm feeling yep. down I will take the time to like really just take care of everything and that always so like, feel makes good. me feel better afterwards
0: mm. just on that you said a few things I want to explore but the first one you said like You sometimes think when you're on a date or meeting people for the first time, they'll wonder. I guess what I'm interested in, is there any kind of misconceptions, common misconceptions around burn survivors that you're constantly coming up against or are there questions that people ask that kind of frustrate you or for anyone who is also a burn survivor and is listening, like, yeah, I guess what's that experience been like that you wish you could just say to everyone else, like, that's not how it is, it's like this?
1: I think it's more so the entitlement of questions in general. Um, Like I am someone that is very open, obviously, to talk Mm. about things. Like I quite enjoy it. I love talking and I'm very happy to share my journey. But I think that that is not the case for everyone. And a lot of people will just assume that they can ask you what happened. And Mm. that's something I've come across quite a bit. And it's so odd to me because if I saw someone with a broken leg out in the street, that I had no idea who they were, I wouldn't walk over to them and be like, oh, my God, what happened to you? Like,
0: or in I'm a wheelchair yeah. or, like, anything. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But because it's something that most people don't understand, they don't recognise burns on the spot because it is something that is in the media less and looks different. Mm. Um, there is a lot of, oh, what happened to you? Or there's a lot of um, you're so brave for being out like that, yeah. which comes from a nice place but is also sort of misplaced in the way that it's said of, I'm not brave, I'm simply just existing. Like this should just be normal. It shouldn't be a thing. You wouldn't say that to anyone else with a sort of visible disability and walk up to them and tell them that they're brave for simply existing. So that's probably the biggest thing. I did feel like after high school the people around me that weren't super close to me had a misconception that my recovery was like not that big of a deal because I sort of Mm. got out of hospital after three months and then I was back to school by term three and like these were very big things like it was not normal for me to have achieved that like that was Mm. because I pushed so hard and I healed really well like I was lucky and there was sort of a misconception that my recovery was easy and that the recovery in Mm. itself wasn't a whole new trauma which it was So I found that really frustrating as well. It's not so much that I wanted everyone to know that I struggled and it was really hard and to feel sorry for me, but I didn't want everyone to just think, like, it was over and I was normal now and it wasn't a big deal either because this was something that would keep following me for years.
0: And it's very, like, we completely skimmed over the fact that, like, yeah, you're in your final year of high school. You have to then assimilate back into this school culture where you've probably missed out on so much work you've got to try and catch up on you want to finish schooling you've got to keep your relationships intact like that in in and of itself is a huge thing to have gone through let alone the physical and the mental impact as well um, I want to change pace a little bit and talk about Bella because this is so exciting and what you said before was really beautiful the way that you see bodies not as just bodies like they're art and they're these beautiful kind of vessels as well that we are in Tell me about applying for Bella and kind of what that journey has been like for you.
1: Um, Bella actually found me, which was even more exciting. When they reached out to me, I was like, is this a prank? Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) That was really, really exciting. It was also really scary because I just thought, do I even have the time for this? Because I do everything in my own sort of time. I've cut back on my hours at work now so that I have more time to focus on Bella because it is something I'm so passionate about. But, yeah, it was really, really scary, but it was also really validating to what I had been doing and I did have something to say and something sort of different to offer So that was really sort of special to me. And just having the support to share my story and keep having all of these different projects and pushing me out there has been incredible. And I've had so many different opportunities I never would have expected to have. And I've learned so much about myself, even more than I thought I could. And it's pushed me even further out of my comfort zone. And I just feel like it's just continued. It's become this this one opportunity has turned into thousands that is just pushing me and pushing me into becoming this whole person and really coming into my own. My mom sort of said the same thing to me that as she's watched me do this over the years and seen it progress, she's, she said, you've just, you're just becoming more and more of your own person. You're just becoming more of you. Mm. And it's so incredible to see how you're evolving into this even stronger confident person that knows what they're talking about and is passionate about what they're talking about. And so the whole thing I've just found to be so rewarding and validating to my experience and what I want to offer and that it does have value.
0: Totally. And that's why I think Bello is so incredible because they actually value people's stories and who they are inside, not what they look like, which is, I mean, the industry's changing, but that's quite a groundbreaking thing for an agency to say like no we we don't really care what you look like we care more about what you have to say and what you stand for I think that's really incredible absolutely I'm sure this is just like the start of your kind of career in that space if that's what you want if that's the direction you want to go in
1: Thank you. Absolutely. I agree. There's a lot of brands and agencies even that are just after someone sort of tokenistic and they're not interested in embedding it into their workplace culture and embedding it into the industry. It's just a surface level thing. And you see brands that will have like what use one model and that will be the only model you'll ever see. And even they might be a particular shape or a particular body and It's just a very tokenistic way of doing it and sort of being inclusive on a surface level. But exactly as you said, what I love about Bella is that they are interested in the person and the story, not just Mm. what they look like in the body that's there. It's, It's what's behind that. And I think that's what makes them so different and successful in this industry is that they're offering people that are so versatile and dynamic and they are interesting and they have stories to share, not just skills,
0: is that kind of where you see your future going? Do you have any ideas about what you would want to do? And do you still want to keep working in childcare and do modelling as well at the same time, or kind of give me sort of if you had to lay out your dreams on a piece of paper right now, what would they be?
1: I think if I if I could lay out my dreams, I probably wouldn't work in childcare anymore. As much as I love it, it's a very high turnover industry, stressful, and it is also very hard to live in this cost of like cost of living sort of time. Yeah, totally. Um, So as much as I do enjoy and find that rewarding, my absolute, if I could do this full time, that is a hundred percent what I would be doing. And I love every aspect of it. We're really pushing into sort of the podcast and speaking and events and things for me at the moment. And I really enjoy that side, but I honestly, I love every single part of it. I love doing the content at home and I love going to shoots and meeting different people and different creatives and then the speaking side and getting to these podcasts and have interesting dynamic conversations with people and be asked different questions that I sort of don't even think for think of for myself I just love every aspect of it so to be able to do that every single day and having something different I love that sort of fast paced environment where it's constantly changing and it's busy I find I really thrive in that environment which is probably why I like childcare too Um, a little bit stressful yeah a little bit chaos um but (laughs) in a good way yeah exactly in a good way in a sort of a healthy balanced way um so absolutely if I could be doing this full time all the time it is absolutely what I would be doing.
0: Well, I have no doubt that is what's going to happen and I can't wait to see it. Um, You've been amazing today. Thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy to like recount traumatic um, things, especially to like essentially a stranger five minutes after we've met. But um, this podcast is a little bit existential and we do often talk about beliefs and and the meanings of life. So I I guess before we wrap up, two things. The first one I'm interested in, in hearing is like, do you believe that, everything happens for a reason and has that either been reinforced through what you've been through or has that been kind of disproven?
1: I have like I'm sort of in two minds about it because in some ways I feel like you could say that about this experience and that it happened for a reason and now I'm here and I've gotten this out of it. But I also think that I sort of I work too hard and I do too much for it to just be all planned out. That it's just it comes down to who I am as a person and what I am willing to put out there and what I am willing to do. I sort of, I remember that back when the fire first happened, people would sort of say to me, you know, the universe doesn't give you anything that you can't handle and that you will be able to do this. And I sort of carried that with me, even though at the time I was like, that's absolutely ridiculous. I'm 16. I can't handle this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the way that I sort of have taken it all in stride, I've sort of carried that with me and I find that really valuable. I don't know, I think that there was so much sort of tragedy and sadness wrapped up in it that I couldn't really allow myself to sort of think everything happens for a reason because I it felt totally. sort of dismissive of how sad it was and how tragic it was. Yeah,
0: that's... And that's, yeah, that's a great answer and that's why I'm always hesitant to ask that question because some people go through some horrific, horrific events and I would never want to distill it into like, at least, you know, you got this out of <laughs> yeah, it. Like, yeah, no, that's totally, just yeah. not the way to go but I am interested in how belief systems change from what we go through like some people go through horrific tragic events and it changes their the way they see life they see it as you said like the universe doesn't give you anything you can't handle or they go the other way and they're like this was a freak accident and nothing's planned and and that sort of mindset as well but if anyone is listening that's kind of just gone through something tragic or they're currently battling something really horrible. Is there any advice or anything that worked for you that you would want to pass on?
1: I think the biggest thing for me would just be not hesitant to seeking out help. I was very lucky to have a supportive family and friends around me. I had a really incredible support network and that really, really helped. But obviously not everyone is as lucky to have that. But I think just Having the ability and almost like worth to know that you deserve help and go and seek that out and know that you deserve to be happy and to be able to get through this. And so, seeking out the help that you need, and that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing shameful about admitting that you need help and you need support. And whether that is through professionals or that is just through those that are around you. I think, yeah, having a big support network around you and getting the resources that you actually need is really important for whatever journey you're going on. It doesn't have to be super traumatic or really significant, but if you're struggling and you need help, then Mm. it's completely okay to ask for it.
0: And often it's just that asking that's the hardest part. Like once you break that barrier and you kind of admit, okay, I do need some help, then from there things start to kind of get a little bit better in my experience. Absolutely we'll wrap up shortly. You've been incredible, but this podcast has a bit of a closing tradition. Every single guest is asked the same question and you can answer in as many or as little words that you like, no right or wrong answers. But that question is, Brie, what is the meaning of life?
1: I suppose for me, it's the connections. It's not even so much like the impact. I you know, I find it very rewarding to have an impact on people's lives, but it's it's the connections that I build and the people that I meet it, that I find that so for, fulfilling and so interesting. And I think just filling my life with as many different people and as many different stories as possible is that is everything to me. So for me, that would be.
0: Incredible. Um, Can you please tell our lovely listeners where they can find you if they want to connect with you? What's the best way to go about it? Uh, My Instagram
1: is at Brianna Crenon and I believe so is my TikTok.
0: Cool. It'll be probably in the show notes because it's not an easy one to spell. (laughs) (laughs) I will link everything in the show notes for them as well. Yeah, you've been incredible. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you and to meet you. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you get up to because I think this is just the beginning for you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been incredible. I've no loved worries. it. No worries. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please let me know who you'd love to hear from next or if you have a story to share, I'd love to get in touch with you. You can connect directly with me on Instagram at LifeChatsPodcast. Chats Podcast, one word. And every review and share really does help so much in the early days of building a podcast. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it on social media or you can snap a pic of where you might be listening and jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I really do appreciate the support more than you know. Have a beautiful morning, afternoon or evening wherever you may be listening in the world. I'm Georgia May and this is Life Chats.